I don't know if you noticed, but as, as you did that, did you notice the energy level rise, right? Did you notice as you did that, like, I'll say, you're a lovely group to look at. But I want to say, when I say, why don't we grab up and greet each other, there was a moment of, huh? And then what I want to say is, your faces burst into just, it was like a wave of smiles rolled their way through the church. And the, the beautiful thing about that, right, is the reason that happened is you knew you were about to turn to somebody who cared about you. You were about to renew a relationship, right? You were about to engage in something that was going to connect you with somebody else. And it was amazing how different that was from, like, being prepared to listen to a sermon. But we won't go there. Um, the, the important thing, right, is when you turn to face somebody who you know you will be greeted by and who will greet you, a smile bursts on your face, and all of a sudden you're open. And um, I love um, that one verse that we sang, that chorus that we sang, right? I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. Now, um, I'm both um, probably too old, too lazy, and a little too um, emotionally restrained to run into anybody's arms right now. But a highlight of my life, right, is when I come into a room and my children deign to notice that I've come, especially if I come home after work or a trip, and then they run to me, right? And they don't just run. They run and then they throw themselves on me. Unfortunately, of course, my kids are now six and eight, so we're hitting the point where um, they sometimes don't even look up anymore. Like, we're playing. Uh, but, but there's something I love about my children throwing themselves at me. And I want to suggest that that's the image that I would love to be the uh, background image as we look at this passage of Scripture today. Right? That sense of turning to one another and going, I'm going to be greeted by somebody who welcomes my presence, and I'm going to extend welcome to them, and my heart's going to be open, and I'm going to be engaged. Because that's really where Jesus is going in this passage, right? Um, we've been talking about what does it mean to love God, and so two weeks ago we looked at the Lord's Prayer together. I, I happened to be here, and part of it was how do we reorient our entire beings and existence around God, God's values, I mean, who God wants us to be as a community. And then last week, we looked at this parable where Jesus goes, look, as you pray, assume that God is nicer than your neighbor. Okay, like this very low bar, right? Like, and I'm sure it's explained, you know, if you had a guest come, you knew you had to provide for them so you could go to the neighbor no matter how late and be like, I'm so sorry to wake you and your family, but I just need a loaf of bread. Like, I have nothing. Like, your neighbor even just grudgingly would offer to you if only because you were obnoxious. The assumption being, how much more so would God offer you something, right? And then you end up with this command from Jesus. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened, right? And it's this assumption of what does it mean that we actually are in the posture where Jesus says, turn to God and run into his arms, Minimally, turn to him like you would turn to the people around you here, confident of your welcome, confident that you're going to be received by somebody, right? That the image that Jesus gives us for prayer is throw yourself into this. So let's take a moment to pray and then dig into this text. Lord, we come to you and um, desire to throw ourselves into your arms. 
Um, for some of us, that just is so easy to do this morning, and so we celebrate that. The songs of worship um, articulated perfectly where we're at, and so we come before you. Um, for others of us, um, we're more reticent. Um, we're feeling a little bruised or tired, uh, doubtful or embarrassed this morning. And so we stand um, a little far off. But you remind us that your arms are held wide open to us. You crouch down and are ready to receive us. And so, Father, I pray um, both in the sung worship that we've experienced as we um, listen to your voice in the word of God, um, remind us that you crouch down ready to receive us. Your arms are wide open. Um, and then give us um, the grace, we pray, uh, to run to you. And we pray these things um, in Christ's name and through his work on the cross. Um, amen. I want us to look at, um, when we teach Bible study to college students, what we often do is we take a short passage of scripture and we just make them look at it. Um, and look at it again. And look at it again. Um, we actually, when we teach the Gospel of Mark, we'll do a Bible study. Um, we'll spend a week-long conference, so 20, 30 hours of work, just on the first eight chapters. But often we'll spend the first hour just looking at the first line of the Gospel of Mark. And students are like, there are barely 10 words here. Like, after 30 seconds, they think they're done. And as we keep making them observe and dig into it, not going crazy with, you know, oh, look at this uh, crazy typology from the Old Testament, but just pay attention to what it is and what is it doing and who does it tell you about. All of a sudden they said, I, I tend to skim through things really quickly. I'd never noticed before. And one of the things we asked them to do is um, pay attention to repeated words. And so as I was studying this very short passage, right, um, and I don't want to over-preach it, but it struck me um, how frequently between verses 9 and 10 uh, the verbs appear, ask, seek, knock, right? And then again in 10, asks, seeks, knocks. And so what about those verbs? Um, what strikes me about those verbs first, if you were to ask for something, if you were to seek for something, if you were to knock at someone's door, is that there's this tremendous risk involved, right? Um, because the words imply that if you ask, there's somebody who hears you. If you seek, there's something to be found. And if you knock, there's somebody home. And I wonder for how many folk that we know, for how many of the folk um, at the pub quiz, for whom saying, well, just pray, which seems so natural to those of us who've grown up in faith or been in church a long time, seems like an incredible risk that they have to take, right? What happens if I asked and nobody hears me? What happens if I seek and there's nothing to find? What happens if I knock on this door and I find the house has been abandoned years and years ago? Right? We've all felt that at one point or another, maybe not at that existential level if you've come from a family of faith and grown up in it. Um, but right all of us have faced that risk when you ask somebody for something and you aren't sure about re the reception you'll get. Something as high stakes as you go to your supervisor and say, I'd like to talk about getting a raise. And you don't know whether the formerly you know, great supervisor who's for you suddenly turns into somebody who needs to tell you no. And the person you thought you were asking wasn't the person you thought they were at that moment, right? For anybody who's ever asked somebody out on a date, 
Would you, and you know they're physically there, but you don't know if they're the kind of person who's going to say yes to you or no to you, and there's that immense risk that opens up, right? Embedded in every act of prayer is an act of courage to believe that when you ask, there's going to be somebody who hears you. When you seek, you're going to find something, and when you knock, that house is occupied, the owner is at home and ready to come to the door. And um, I often wonder, as we begin prayer, um, particularly for those of you, us like me, who grew up in the church, um, if we aren't sort of, um, if we don't realize the tremendous act of faith and courage that it requires to pray. I think any of us here who've experienced um, deep heartbreak, uh, incredible loss, or the silence of God at times, knows exactly what I mean right now, that sometimes you pray and you just think, am I just talking to myself? Have I become that kind of person, right? Is this just I'm self-medicating by repeating nice truisms to myself? Um, Is anything happening outside of my own mind? And part of loving God means trusting what Jesus says in this passage, right? Because he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It strikes me, Jesus says the same thing twice. Um, And I love to believe that he wasn't just repetitive, because he was like that, but because he was so desperate for us to know and to believe If you ask, there is somebody who is listening. If you seek, there is a goal and you will find it. If you knock on the door, there is somebody home. The lights are on. Coffee or tea has been prepared, right? The tray is ready and when you walk in, you will be welcomed. Um, There's an incredible leap of courageous faith, but... I hope that part of what we experience in prayer, part of what we're doing here in Sunday as we worship and as we pray and as we listen to the word of God, as we meet each other in community, right, where God makes himself known in the form of his body around us, part of what we're trying to remind ourselves with all those things is God sits there, crouched down, like we were like children, his arms wide open, he yells out, come to me. Throw yourself on me was the best part of having a little kid. I mean, my kids are not quite that age anymore, but when they're like two or three, it's not just that they run to you, but those last couple steps, they throw themselves at you right in the air. And if you're not quite balanced right, you usually end up flat on your back. Or maybe I'm just really uncoordinated. But I love that level of trust where they just go, I know you will catch me because you are there and your attention is focused on me. Just yesterday, we took my kids um, to the public swimming pool um, at the New York... um, park district and um, the older one is, is trying to swim but the younger one is afraid to put her face in so her favorite thing to do is to stand on the edge and I stand about three feet away and um, our pattern is I've told them um, you cannot jump till I'm ready right because my biggest fear is I will get distracted they'll jump and then they'll go under I, I could pick them up but I don't want to traumatize them so I always count to them right and on three they're allowed to jump and so you know we play with you know I'll count in Chinese we'll count in Spanish whatever I'll give them fingers but they know they're not allowed to jump to three but I love that they know when they that they have my attention and then there's no fear 
they're, I mean, otherwise, as soon as they're in the water, right, it's like um, a barnacle clinging to you. But in that moment, they throw themselves out. And they're flying in the air, and they're squealing with delight because they know I'm ready to catch. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Why he says, ask, seek, knock. Because there's an answer to all those. Ask, seek, and knock. There's somebody out there. And he says it twice to remind us of that truth. Um, And as he does that, right, he goes, look, there's somebody waiting for you. All of a sudden, you realize um, he's put you in the position from the parable that we looked at last week, right? Be that neighbor who knocks on the door. Be that neighbor who asks, right? Be that neighbor who seeks out bread for your guest because there will be an answer for you, right? He's actually shaping you like that. And so he says, please, make the request. And there's an insistence about these words about how we make this kind of request. Um, My oldest child um, has hit the point where, um, you know when kids are really small, they just ask for whatever they want. And so part of what you have to do as a parent is like, no, just because you have a desire doesn't mean we fulfill it every time. well, she's, had, she's ended up um, in, the, in this really bizarre pattern of asking where she'll say, well, could we get a notebook? Well, no, you won't want to get that for me, right? And um, there's part of it that I think, excellent, she's learning a little self-control. We'll have to work on not verbalizing at all at some point. But, um, or she's maybe doing the Chinese thing, which is the indirect ask, but I'm like, that's not an indirect ask. That's just muddled. What breaks my heart a little bit, though, is that um, even in her asking, she's becoming self-protective, right? She's afraid that if she asks for something, that she's going to get a no. And so instead, she gives the no in advance um, so that she doesn't have to hear it from me. Now, I'm torn, as I said, right? There's part of me that's grateful she's actually thinking through the logic of should she get everything. But as a father, there's part of me that wants to be the kind of father where she knows if she asks, I'm predisposed to say yes to her. That I want her to have the things that she needs. But we're in that awkward thing of she can't distinguish between wants and needs right now, and mostly it's wants. And so we're having to work that out. I wonder, though, how many of us in prayer um, tend to hedge when we pray to God. If we hold back a little on the things that we need to ask him for, that we want to ask him for, because we're afraid of the no. Because we aren't sure how he's going to respond. And part of what Jesus seems to get at with this ask, seek, and knock, this, um, is that it's pretty unqualified, these requests that he seems to be making. And part of what I think is going on is Jesus is saying, look, it's not like God doesn't know you want this. And if God loves you, he's predisposed to giving you something good. So will you, at least without embarrassment, share with him what you long for and what you desire? And then will you trust him that the answer will be a good one? Right? We'll come back to that in a second. Let's look one last time at ask, seek, and knock. What's striking to me is that he doesn't go, you know, ask one time and be done with it. Seek and be, you know, which is a short process, uh, knock and stop. Um, The verbs are actually ongoing, continuous. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Um, So what is he asking them to ask for and seek? Let me suggest that 
Um, part of the challenge when you read little sections of scripture is that you can read them on their own. But the larger section of scripture, right, is that Jesus has just taught them, this is how you should pray. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what are we asking for? What are we seeking? What are we knocking on the door for? I want to suggest that the larger context of what Jesus has invited us to pray for comes from the Lord's Prayer. Lord, hallowed be your name. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Father, give us today our daily bread. Father, um, lead us not into temptation. And part of what I think Jesus is pushing us toward is, if these are your primary concerns, right, if this is the orientation of love toward God, you want his name to be hallowed, you want his will to be done, you ask him in trust for daily bread, just like the neighbor had to. Um, you are asking for protection from temptation that persevere in these prayers because the stakes involved are incredibly high. And if you love God so that his concerns and his passions and his glory, right, and his love and desire to provide for you are central in your mind and so that you trust him, he goes, keep on asking. Don't stop. Persevere in these things. And it made me wonder as I was preparing, I thought, um, I'm pretty good at praying for my wants in an insistent way. I wonder how deeply, how thoroughly, and how persistently I continue to pray for God's kingdom and his glory um, and acts of trust at the fundamental levels of what I need. Um, and I think about this because um, if I don't have a list of missionaries and friends to pray for, um, I pray for them for a little while and then I forget. Right? I'm really grateful for things like CaringBridge because I have friends with cancer. I wish I were a dedicated prayer warrior who prayed for them all the time, but it really helps me to get email updates uh, because among the billion other things, it just slips away. And I'm grieved, honestly, at my own lack of compassion and lack of focus. Um, I actually write down my children's names and my wife's name on my prayer list just to make sure they get included properly. Um, because if I don't, and my parents, because if I don't physically see them, it kind of passes. It's also why I have to put my keys in the same place at the house every day, because if I don't see them, I will not know where they are. Um, but it strikes me what Jesus challenges us to is, can you be so concerned about God's glory and his purposes that you insistently ask, that you insistently knock, that you insistently seek? Um, I think about this a lot because of a colleague of mine, um, Jim Lundgren. Jim uh, has been with InterVarsity for 40-plus years. Um, this last year, he was our interim president as we were looking for um, a new president. Uh, he's been my supervisor or my direct in my line of supervision for 20 years and six months of my InterVarsity career. There's only been four months of my life since I joined InterVarsity that he has not been uh, in a supervisory position over me. Um, and I remember meeting him as a student, um, and we were at a large group meeting, and uh, that year at the University of Chicago, we were splitting a staff worker with Northwestern University, our great crosstown rivals. And I had directed our student leadership team. Um, I said, look, we really want Craig to come to us and not go to Northwestern, but he's leaning toward Northwestern. He has family connections there. Frankly, Evanston's a nicer place to live than Hyde Park. Everything is not, and that chapter is really a strong, fun chapter to be with. I'm afraid we're going to lose out, so here's what we're going to do. This year, 
as students, we're going to do everything he does not like to do. We're going to take over every task that he doesn't find joyful, delightful, because we're going to make this the best ministry location in the world. And then, of course, it's all going to, the, you know, the gig will be up. He'll discover after he comes in. It's not like that, but for this year while he's making the decision. Right? So we schemed, we worked, we planned. This tells you a lot about my personality. Um, and at the end of the year, he decided he and his wife to move to Hyde Park to come to, and be at the University of Chicago full-time. And I was like, it worked! And the week we heard, Jim Lundgren, who was the regional director in charge of all of um, kind of that section of the Midwest, was coming to speak. Um, and, you know, before large group, I, I trotted over to him. I'm like, did you hear? Did you hear? Like, he wouldn't have heard, right? Craig's going to come here. I'm so excited. And um, it, did, it was just reflexively said, yeah, I was delighted. I've been praying for over a decade that there would be a residential staff worker for you here at the University of Chicago. And I just want to say, it sucked all the air out of my lungs, right? Because there I was like, I've been scheming, I've been working, we made it happen. And just, he was like, yeah, I've been praying for over a decade, Greg, right? Now, remember, I, I'm a third-year college student at that point. So basically, sometime while you were in elementary school, Greg, I've been praying this prayer for the students at your school. I've been praying it consistently long before you even thought about college, before, there, before Craig even um, had finished high school, I've been praying this prayer for this campus. And it completely reframed my understanding of what it meant to persevere in prayer. I mean, we weren't members of Jim's family, right? We weren't his sons or his spouse. We weren't directly in his line of control. I mean, he was the regional director. We were about four steps below what he would normally interact with. But he'd been praying for my campus um, eight years before I arrived for something that I thought I had schemed about for the last six months. And whenever I think about Jesus saying, please continue to ask, please continue to seek, please continue to knock, I think about Jim Lundgren laboring on my behalf in prayer for 10 years before I even thought about that this was going to be an issue. Um, what would it take for us to be so concerned about the advance of God's kingdom that we would labor not just for, you know, a three-minute prayer moment at a church or a weekly prayer reminder until the next prayer bulletin comes out, but to have parts of our hearts so moved and so grieved that for not just a year but a decade or more than a decade to persevere. Some of us, I know, have felt that way about um, family members who we long to see come to Christ. We've been praying for a brother or a parent or a child for years, decades, I know, from some talking to a few of you. Don't give up. Jesus invites us. Somebody is listening. There's somebody at home when you knock on the door and ask for that favor, right? There's an end that you're seeking that God will answer. The challenge, of course, is that it's hard to believe that God will answer when you've been praying for decades. And that's why I think that Jesus goes on to say what he does in verses 11 through 13. Um, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Right? And it's so crazy right? that you'd, you'd almost laugh at the comparison. And actually, when I read this passage to my daughters last night, the six-year-old just laughed. She's like, that's ridiculous. And that's right, exactly it. Right? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, Jesus promises twice that he's going to answer, and he says, look, um, assume that if you know how to respond appropriately to good requests from your children, that God, your heavenly Father, will do so much more than that. There are a couple of challenges, though, right, for us, um, because the assumption that Jesus makes is that God will respond with something good and not bad. Um, I think part of our challenge is we don't always want his good, because his good is pretty challenging. Um, I just read an article by um, a professor of New Testament named Wesley Hill who said, you know, so much of the issue around uh, Christian sexual ethics right now is um, we fundamentally don't want to believe that God might want to tell us no. And he said, in almost every area of sexual ethics, isn't that the issue? Like, I don't believe God would want me not to have what I want. And then I thought, well, that's just true about my discipleship overall. That there may be, in the decades of waiting, something God, the good might be that God is actually shaping us in the midst of prayer. It has nothing to do with what we're praying for. It's all about who we need to become in this act of prayer. Um, it may be that the decades of prayer are designed to change us as much as to change the situation we pray for. It, it may be that in his timing, he knows best and we have to trust that as hard as that may be. It may be in part why Jesus says this so forcefully and so without qualifications is obviously he's not a lawyer and isn't trying to create a contract like that. But ultimately, right, He's saying, pray this way for things that are framed by the Lord's prayers, petitions, that his name would be glorified and that his will would be done, that we would have daily bread and we would be kept from evil. And when those are the parameters, um, it allows us to pray closely aligned to his purposes. <clears throat> um, and that ultimately what we know is God is concerned for his own glory and will bring it about. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That one day he will reign and that we'll see justice and righteousness in our society and we won't just be waiting for it to happen, right? Inequality will be reversed. Tears will be wiped away from people's eyes. And we know that that will happen. We know that in the end, um, he does provide for his people. And while we struggle with temptation now, one day we will be made Christ-like. And while those are the core of our requests, I do think he invites us to bring everything else to him, but it shrinks down and focuses what he invites us to be persistent about, to be importunate about, to use an old word, to um, be bold, ruthless, and shameless about. What strikes me here at the end is um, this weird change at the last statement because Jesus says in verse 13, if you then though you are evil, right, he's, he's making no bones about how muddled and confused our prayers can be, right? He's not like, because you pray such awesomely innocent, holy prayers, I'll give you everything. He's like, look, even as evil as you all are, uh, if you know how to do good things with your children, how much more then will God, who is not evil, you'd expect him to say, give you everything that you want, except that he doesn't, partially because we are evil, and so we don't often don't always ask for the right thing. Um, but he says, how much more will your heavenly father, your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And you think, 
we weren't talking about the Holy Spirit here. We were talking about things I need and things I want, right? We were talking, like, where did the Holy Spirit come in? And, I, um, and what I want to suggest is this is Jesus' answer to, look, if a father just, even a bad father, gives a boy bread when he asks for bread and gives his daughter an egg when she needs an egg, right? Gives her what he wants. How much better, more excellent should the gift that our Heavenly Father be, gives us? than what we expect or want. How is the Holy Spirit an answer to that? Well, at one level, I suppose you could go, it's the Holy Spirit, Greg, that should be the best. But let me suggest two ways where the Holy Spirit really is the best answer to the deepest prayers that we make. Um, in part because the Holy Spirit is the answer to the prayers prayed in the Lord's Prayer, isn't he? When we pray, um, your kingdom come, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit enters, right? The Holy Spirit's entry into the lives of believers and manifestations of power and transformation in the world around us are actually how God is rolling out his kingdom person by person, by nation by nation. As the Holy Spirit is here, that's where God's going, look, my reign and rule is reestablished in that place, in that person's heart, in the zone of influence they have, and in the way that their gifts um, and talents are being used. My kingdom is coming, and my will is going to be done there. Um, the Holy Spirit, as he begins to move in our lives, right, brings us into communion with God, opens the scriptures to us, and actually begins to feed us with daily bread that's the kind of bread that will satisfy our souls and will never perish um, and never leave us hungry. Not to overly spiritualize it, but I think that's part of the resonance that goes on here. Um, how does the Holy Spirit answer the prayer, lead us not in temptation? Well, as we listen to the Holy Spirit's guidance, we should be making better choices away from temptation. And when we're confronted by it, what we believe is it's not just exert more willpower. Try a little harder, but actually you throw yourselves into the Holy Spirit's arms and you say, I have no power. I have no ability, frankly, even almost no desire to say no to this. So in your mercy and grace, give me the strength to say no. Empower me and make me more into Christ like this so that one day, Lord, I pray, will you help me no longer desire this thing that will destroy me? Change my heart. The Holy Spirit actually is the answer to the prayers prayed in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Holy Spirit ultimately also um, pulls us toward Christ-likeness, not just by making us nicer people, though we pray that that's also the case, that we reflect the fruits of the Spirit more and more. But if you look at how this prayer then is constructed in light of the Lord's Prayer, think about what Jesus has been doing. Jesus says, um, begin and pray like this, our Father in heaven. And Jesus goes, I want you to have the kind of relationship with the Father that I myself have. And then he ends the section on prayer by saying, and then the Father is going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to anoint you, fill you with the Holy Spirit in the same way that I have been anointed and was filled with the Spirit when I came out of my baptism. Right? And that um, literally... We're now relating to God the Father in the same way that Jesus did, and we're being filled by the Spirit in the same way that Jesus was filled. Um, we're becoming Christ-likeness by the ways that we're beginning to relate to the Trinity. And that ultimately part of what Jesus is saying is, as you pray this prayer, as you pray in this way insistently, shamelessly, boldly, throwing yourself out, believing that God is there to catch you, 
You're going to discover the Father that I know. You're going to be empowered by the Spirit that empowers by me. You are going to become like me. And in the end, prayer has great effect on the world around us, but prayer has a profound effect on who we are and who we will become. And that's why we pray insistently and consistently and shamelessly, even when the answer is unclear, because God is doing a work in us. And the Spirit will impel us and transform us to people who love God more and will know God the Father more and love him more deeply. And this section of the scripture passage will help us to fulfill the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And as we become more like Jesus, it will be natural to love our neighbors as ourselves, wherever they are in the process, wherever we find them. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. Give us greater confidence to run to you and ask you the things that are, on the, that are the desires and needs of our heart. And then would you shape our hearts so that the Lord's Prayer more and more molds our aspirations, our hopes, um, our desires, and our trust so that we pray the things that you want us to pray so that we become the people that you desire us to be. So that wherever we go, be it here at church as we greet one another, at a bar where we participate in a quiz, at our workplaces, homes, and neighborhoods, where we interact with people who are both lovely and difficult to love, uh, would they see more of Jesus? Um, not less of us, but um, the us who have been transformed by Jesus, so that we are more and more ourselves, even as we look more and more like Jesus. We love you, Lord. Give us the trust to turn to you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.